Today's episode includes some very graphic and disturbing testimony. As you know, I'm not one who likes to get into graphic details of any crime, so I did my best to clean it up, but still, listener discretion is advised. I'd ask that you, uh, when you're considering all, all of the evidence, don't jump to conclusions. Don't rush to judgment. Please keep an open mind. In his opening statements, defense attorney Christopher Freilich asked the jurors to keep an open mind just before they were going to hear lurid graphic testimony. A decapitated head and another detached body part dumped in a bucket. A woman with blood-stained hands. A fascination with an infamous serial killer. On today's episode, I'm covering a murder trial that took place over this last summer in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Some of the headlines coming out of the courtroom included House of Horrors murder trial and head in a bucket and leg in a van. At the bottom of the stairs to the right, there was a green bucket with a shower towel on top of it. Um, just to verify, we had the, an actual head in a bucket lifted the towel off, and there was, in fact, a human severed head in the bucket. The murder was atrocious, gruesome, and incredibly horrifying. But today, we're going to look into the trial that followed and whether justice was served. This is Jillian in partnership with Law & Crime. You are listening to Court Junkie, episode 254. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever find yourself lying in bed at night and your brain just won't stop? I'll get up with my five-month-old in the middle of the night, shout out to those awesome sleep regressions, and then I have the hardest time falling back asleep because I just can't stop thinking about things. I know that if I just go to sleep, I'll feel much better, but tell that to my brain. It turns out one great way to make those racing thoughts go away is to talk through them. Therapy gives you a place to do that so you can actually find some peace and maybe even some sleep. There are so many things in life that are hard and that leave you feeling like you have no idea what you're even doing, like becoming a new parent or starting a new job. Therapy is an excellent way to help you deal with what's going on. I'll never forget how much therapy helped me when I was younger, going through a divorce. Talking it out with someone just made me feel less alone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. For one, it's entirely online, which means that it's convenient, flexible, and works with your schedule. Here's how you get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's it. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash court today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash court. Court Junkie is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Most of you listening right now are probably multitasking. While you're listening to me talk, you're probably also driving, cleaning, exercising, maybe even grocery shopping. But if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you could be doing right now. Getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, for being a homeowner, and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year, 
so you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It was Shad Therion's mother, Tara, who found Shad's severed head in a five-gallon bucket in her basement last year. Tara's boyfriend, Steve, dialed 911. He had been asleep when Tara woke him up crying. Steve sounded incredulous but calm on the phone with the dispatcher. He couldn't believe what he was calling to report. The emergency dispatcher also couldn't believe it. The dispatcher seemed to think this was some sort of prank. I have no clue what's happening with my girl. It swears that she's found her severed head of her son in the basement. Did you go down there? In a bucket. I went down. I can't tell what the fuck. I just part of my language. I'm kind of freaked out. Okay. Did she just wake up and say that? Yeah. And who is, who, who, whose head is it? She's claiming it's her son. How old is her son? 24, 20, 25. Has he been missing, or? No, he was here yesterday with some chick, and then now all of a sudden nobody's here. And she came up to use the restroom a couple times, and she keeps calling and calling, and now she's saying that she hears the phone down there, too. So there's something in the bucket. There's something in the bucket. There's something in the goddamn bucket. Maybe it was a fake head. Maybe Shad's mother was hallucinating. But Green Bay police officer Alex Wanish saw it was very real when he arrived. On the force since 2019, Officer Wanish was dispatched to 829 Stony Brook Lane on the west side of Green Bay. It was February 23rd, 2022, early, around 3 a.m. He had a flashlight. He wore gloves to protect his hands. He headed down into the basement. I went downstairs. Um, at the bottom of the stairs to the right, there was a green bucket with a shower towel on top of it. He looked inside. Sure enough, there was a human head. Um, at that point, did you see any uh, other uh, parts of a human body? Uh, no other parts of a human body, no. Um, did you notice any areas of uh, potential uh, blood? Yes. And, and where was that? Uh, beyond the stack of mattresses, there appeared to be blood on the floor and then small chunks of human flesh. Um, in other areas of that basement, did you locate any obvious signs of blood? There was a dried blood stain on the mattresses, and that was all that I remember seeing. The crime scene tape went up. Backup was called. Officers checked the house to make sure no one else was inside. But there was no one else there, other than Tara her boyfriend, and her 16-year-old daughter. 24-year-old Shad didn't live at Tara's house, but he was an occasional visitor, stopping by to do his laundry or grab food. The family said they had last seen Shad with his friend, Taylor Shabiznes, someone Shad had known since around middle school. She was his former girlfriend, 
Although now, Shad and Taylor were either just friends or sometimes lovers, depending on how you looked at it. Taylor was technically married to somebody else who was behind bars in federal prison. Officer Wanish saw how stunned Tara and her boyfriend were after they discovered part of Shad's remains. The people that you had contact with, Tara and Stephen, were they in shock? Yeah, they both seemed to be in a state of shock. Had they been sleeping prior to your arrival? They were both awake and in the kitchen when we made contact. But before you got there, was it your understanding that uh, they went to bed and then something happened where they woke up and then they called the police? Yes. Assisting was Detective Philip Scanlon, who reached the house about three hours after the initial 911 call. He interviewed neighbors. He waited for a warrant to be signed, a doctor to arrive, and then he helped process the crime scene in the basement. Another detective, along with forensic specialists, were also there. You looked in the bucket, obviously. I did. Um, did you move the contents of the bucket? No. Okay. Um, there were other items in the bucket later on that you found out about, correct? There were. What other items were in the bucket? There was remains, uh, two different specific types of remains that I, that I observed. Okay. Uh, there was a human head. Uh, there was genitalia in the bucket. Let me stop you there. What do you mean genitalia? Uh, what I would recognize as a penis and testicles. And were they laying underneath the head? They were visible after the head was removed, yes. What else did you see? Uh, I observed a black uh, Miracle 3 kitchen blade knife that was removed, a kitchen knife. Uh, I observed a yellow uh, pocket knife, I guess for best description, the uh, pocket knife with a yellow handle. Um, there was like a head of a razor, like a shaving razor blade, a nail, a Jolly Rancher, and there was a flesh material that the doctor just described as a flesh material. There was a Jimmy Choo bag on top of an entertainment center located in the same room. There was some red tissue and blood, not blood, red, red tissue on the, on the zipper and on the side of the bag. And inside the uh, Jimmy Choo bag were different body parts, correct? There were. There was a lung? The doctor identified the object as a lung, yes. Piece of liver. He identified a liver. Patella tendon. The doctor showed me that and identified that. Pieces of skin or fatty tissue. Yes, sir. And there are lots of bags in there, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. There was also a pink and black Under Armour backpack on the floor by the mattress, with more remains located inside. Did you find uh, any evidence of drug use down in that basement? I did. What did you find down there? Um, there was a methamphetamine pipe, or what I recognized to be a methamphetamine pipe, on the entertainment center. And there was a green gem baggie uh, with a crystal substance that I later checked out more thoroughly. He also found something that the prosecution would later say was the actual murder weapon, a dog collar. 
In their opening statements, Assistant District Attorney Caleb Saunders outlined the murder. He said 25-year-old Taylor Shabiznis had strangled her friend, Shad Therion, to death with a dog collar. She then engaged in sexual acts with his dead body and then dismembered him using kitchen knives, all in his own home. So this case is really not a, a whodunit. You'll, you'll hear about the crimes that clearly occurred. You'll hear the defendant's statement saying, yep, I did it. And you have DNA evidence and other investigative tools that kind of corroborate everything else. So for this, the defendant's charged with the three crimes that, that the judge read off earlier. First degree intentional homicide, mutilating a corpse, dismembering the corpse, uh, and then third degree sexual assault. But ultimately, the case comes down to choices and, and responsibility. The defendant made a series of choices, February 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Choices to use methamphetamine, choices to kill her friend, Shad, choices to then utterly degrade him after the fact. The choices the defendant made. And then the defense's opening statements began, which you heard briefly earlier, and they reminded jurors to keep an open mind. Taylor had the right not to testify at her own trial, they said although they left open the possibility that she might. The defense, like the prosecution, summarized what the jury could expect during the four-day trial. Law enforcement, Shad's mother and her boyfriend, and other experts were all going to testify. Taylor was pleading not guilty by reason of insanity. You jurors are going to have to decipher the facts of what what may have occurred or what what, what didn't occur. Um... But at the end of the case, we ask that you find our client not guilty on all the counts. Throughout the trial, Taylor Shabiznis sat next to her attorney, smirking and laughing at inappropriate times as troubling evidence was presented against her. Once, she pretended to shoot the judge with her fingers, making a quick bang-bang motion. But all this was actually improved behavior for Taylor. Earlier, during a pretrial competency hearing, She sprung up and attacked her own attorney in the courtroom. Security had to separate them. That attorney asked to be removed from the case. Now, a different defense attorney, Christopher Fralick, was representing her. Two armed deputies stood next to her, watching her every move. For Shad's family, they would have to sit through and watch Taylor's antics. In an obituary, they remembered Shad as a very kind and compassionate person who often thought of others before himself. For fun, he liked to go camping or do wood carving. In the courtroom, though, all they heard was how Shad had been a victim. During a recorded police interview that was played at her trial, Taylor had asked investigators if they knew what it was like to love something so much that you kill it. A hectic schedule can make it easy to fall back into your dinnertime rut. In my home, that means we're ordering in from our local restaurants, which honestly gets kind of old and needlessly expensive. But you can make cooking at home exciting and easy with over 40 recipes to choose from every week with HelloFresh. HelloFresh does all the shopping and meal planning for you 
which to me is probably my least favorite part of cooking. Ingredients arrive at your doorstep pre-portioned and ready to cook, along with pictured step-by-step recipe cards. How easy is that? I can't even tell you how much time HelloFresh has saved my husband and me. Now, when we're done with work and picking up our kid from school, we can enjoy a home-cooked meal not long after. Some of my family favorites include the barbecue ranch chicken flatbreads, one-pan turkey stir-fry tacos, and sesame soy pork bowls. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50CourtJunkie and use the code 50CourtJunkie for 50% off plus free shipping. That's 50% off plus free shipping when you go to HelloFresh.com slash 50CourtJunkie and use the code 50CourtJunkie. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. At trial, jurors saw officers' body cam footage of Taylor being arrested with blood-stained hands. Detective David Graff, who had interviewed Taylor on February 23rd, took the stand, recounting what she said and describing her appearance. Um, first of all, can you start by describing you know, what her general demeanor was when you met with her on the 23rd? Well, characteristic as a calm demeanor, um, no outbursts. No um, mood swings. She was uh, quite frank in being able to answer questions and ask questions. Uh, what was your ability to communicate with her? Very good. She yeah. was uh, able to answer my questions and um, with no issues. You indicated that you had previous work as a narcotics investigator. Have you had an opportunity in the past to uh, meet with and interview suspects who are under the influence of drugs? Yes. Um, did you note any anything in Ms. Shabiznis's behavior, demeanor, or appearance that would have suggested that she was under the influence of narcotics at the time you were meeting with her on the 23rd? I did not. He said he told her that Shad had been found in a bucket in the basement and that she had been the last one with him. He asked her what happened. Um, What did she say with respect to uh, how Shad was killed? How Shad was killed? Correct. Uh, She said that um, Shad had produced a a chain, like a dog collar, uh, and put it around his neck. Um, Initially, it sounded like it might have been some sort of foreplay, but it got to the point that um, she started to um, strangle Mr. Therian and um, just continued to do so, um, according to her, for several minutes until he passed away. He asked her why she didn't stop when she saw his face turning purple, and she said she wanted to see what would happen. Did you ask her about how she felt about what she had done? Yes. And uh, what were her responses? Objection relevance, yes, to elements, Your Honor. I think they're certainly relevant as to her intent. Overruled. Um, Her response was that she liked it. Had she also at some point expressed some remorse or that she didn't necessarily want this to happen? Initially, that was some of her comments was that, you know, it, hadn't intended, but once um, she started to um, strangle Shad that uh, she found that she did enjoy it, and so she kept on uh, strangling him. 
He said Taylor told him that the day prior, she and Shad had been smoking methamphetamine. He said she later told him that she had dismembered Shad's body and placed various body parts in bags. In addition to the dismemberment, did Ms. Shabiznis discuss with you anything else that she did with Shad's body after she had killed him? Yes, she did. And what was that? Uh, She described um, how she had sexual contact um, with the body. The trial's testimony was often graphic, especially when Dane County Deputy Medical Examiner Dr. Vincent Tranchita, who was providing coverage for nearby Brown County where Green Bay was, testified about Shad's autopsy. The manner of death? Obviously a homicide. The cause of death? Strangulation, he ruled, after seeing bruises on Shad's neck, eye hemorrhages, and his injured tongue. A significant force had been applied to the neck, he testified. The judge ordered the media not to publish the disturbing autopsy photos. Shad had been dismembered after death, not while he was still alive. Jurors saw a chart showing the mutilation of Shad's remains. I'm not going into details about the testimony because it's intense, but it's important to know that his body parts had been amputated in several places. He had multiple stab wounds all over his body. His skin and soft tissue had been removed in some places. Doctor, based on your training and experience, what kind of amount of time would be necessary in order to... um, create this sort of disruption to a body? Objection, speculation. Overruled. Foundation. Overruled. It is my medical opinion that this would be quite a few hours. We have decapitation. We have dismemberment. We have transection of the torso. Subsequently, internally, the body has been eviscerated. In other words, uh, we have entered inside the body through various cuts, both at the abdomen and between the ribs, where uh, the victim's organs have been removed, largely one by one. Um, We have castration of the decedent. The decedent has been castrated as well. We have cutting or sawing through uh, chop mark injuries of the bones. It is my medical opinion that this would have taken quite a great deal of time. At Taylor's trial, there was mention of Jeffrey Dahmer, another Wisconsin native who was infamous for killing and dismembering his victims. Then Green Bay Police Lieutenant Jenna Liberta analyzed Taylor's phone and testified about searches she discovered. When you were reviewing the phone itself, the extraction of the phone itself on March 2nd of 2022, did you note any searches related to Jeffrey Dahmer? Yes. Um, was there one? Was there more than one? How many? 24 total um, searches, such things like Jeffrey Dahmer, Jeff Boyardee, Jeffrey Dahmer's butt, Jeffrey Dahmer walking into court all sexy. And did you subsequently look for that same type of information when you reviewed the, the warrant return from Google? Yes. And did you find essentially corroborating or similar information uh, when you reviewed the Google search warrant data? Yes, they were similar. 
She also told the court about photos she found on Taylor's phone. What is she doing in the photographs that are depicted in that report? She's got a cell phone next to her head. Um, There's a picture of Jeffrey Dahmer on the screen of the cell phone, and she's taking a selfie with it and smiling like they're taking a selfie together. And what is the date of that photograph? That was February 12th, 2022. In their closing arguments, the defense argued that no eyewitnesses saw Taylor kill Shad. Yes, Taylor herself had admitted to killing him during the police interview, but could the jury really believe anything she said? Uh, She did say um, during the interview, I can't think right now. I'm effing nuts. She said that she was up all night, that the body would rebuild itself. She said weird, odd things. Consider her credibility. Consider what she says. Consider what she said to Detective Groff or Detective Scanlon. She said stuff. I would submit that she said things that didn't make sense. She says, I have no idea to some of the questions that the detectives asked her. Was this an accidental death? Did Taylor Shabizas kill Shad Therian? Was there intent to kill Shad Therian? Did Taylor Shabizas have the mental purpose to kill Shad Therian? Different theories, different things for you to think about. The defense also downplayed Taylor's phone searches about Jeffrey Dahmer. Young people, they like their phones and they look they look up things on the Internet for a variety of different reasons. Shock value, curiosity. But we have a situation here where uh, Taylor did uh, do some searches about Jeffrey Dahmer. I would submit that that's a ruse. <clears throat> that that doesn't necessarily mean anything and that people search the internet for all kinds of things on the, on the internet and that it's for shock value. So that shouldn't really play any part in this case. I would ask that you discount that and set that aside. Meanwhile, the state argued this was a straightforward case. Taylor Shabiznis was clearly guilty. I want to start with something that we heard yesterday or actually Monday during opening statements. Um, Council told us that, you know, there's always two sides to every story. And with all due respect, this, this is not one of those stories. Um, this is a story that, that pretty clearly shows what happened. It's a story of a, uh, the defendant taking a dog collar that was around her friend's neck and pulling it so hard and for so long and such force that it caused his death. That in that moment, she made a deliberate choice to end her friend's life. She then, after the fact, degrades his body, engages in sexual acts with him. This is a story of the defendant then dismembering him and leaving his remains all over the house for his mother to find. He pointed out that Taylor had admitted to what she had done when police interviewed her. So I want to walk through that because there's a lot of points in that interview where the defendant is telling you exactly what her intent was in this case, right? His face was turning purple, right? She describes that and he's coughing up blood and 
you know that's accurate, right? Because you heard Dr. Tranquita's testimony. And you saw those photographs. She's seeing that in person, and yet what does she say? I, I still didn't stop. No. She felt a heartbeat at one point, right? She talks about feeling his heartbeat, and she kept pulling more, and he wouldn't die. I just wanted him. And I was like, damn. Right? She admits even that, that Shad's struggling in this moment, that he's fighting back, right? You heard from Dr. Tranquita as well about how it, it looked like at one point there were signs of that where the collar slipped up uh, along the tongue. She's telling you I was waiting for him to die. I liked it. She figured I'm already this far, and she's pantomiming the, the act. It's like she's starting a lawnmower. That's how hard she's pulling on this chain, Right? Took three to five minutes, she thinks. And again, that's consistent with Dr. Tranquita, right? This is not an accident. This isn't a whoops. This is an intentional act. There's one truth in this case. There's one side of the story. and It happens to be the defendant's story as well, but it's consistent with everyone else's story. It's because that story is the truth of what the defendant did to her friend Shad. Less than one hour. That's how long it took for the jury to side with the state. Taylor was guilty on all three counts. The jury had found Taylor Shabiznes guilty of first-degree intentional homicide, third-degree sexual assault, and dismembering a corpse. The same group of jurors now had another decision to make. Should Taylor not be held legally responsible for those crimes because she was mentally ill? The burden does shift to the defense in this particular case. We're in phase two now, and the burden shifts to the defense to me um, to ask you to consider whether the defendant, uh, Taylor Denise Chavizas, is responsible or is not responsible by reason of mental disease or defect. The defense called forensic psychologist Diane Lighton, who evaluated Taylor and believed her mental disease prevented her from controlling her behavior. She said Taylor had been diagnosed with a thought disturbance, bipolar, and severe depression with psychosis by the age of 14. She also explained how Taylor's mental illness played into her courtroom behavior. She's been described as smirky. Yeah, smirky. Uh, she has inappropriate, the, her, you know, grinning, weird grinning when she's talking about the crimes. Looking people have interpreted it to be like laughing at what she's did. At times, in the jail, with evaluators, with me, at times, briefly, it's very strange. Other times looking, eh. You know, real, I mean, I can mimic it. Very um, scowly. A lot of people interpret it superficially to be grinning. Yeah, yeah, grinning at all, but getting a kick out of everything. Nah, uh-uh, nah, uh-uh, not me, uh-uh. Based on my experience and training, that's a psychotic person right there. That's that, And that's what's causing this really weird, bizarre. And I, I'm telling you, to me, it's off the scale. 32 years, 
I've seen a lot of psychotic people, bipolar, psychotic, manic, and I just haven't seen very many like this. That is very exceptional, very exceptional. The defense also called other witnesses, including Taylor's dad, who testified about her mental state and her childhood issues. Arturo Coronado wore an orange inmate suit and handcuffs when he took the stand. He was serving time for second-degree sexual assault of a child, according to media reports. Arturo's testimony made it clear Taylor had suffered loss in her 25 years. Her only sibling, a brother, had died the prior year in a motorcycle accident. And he said she was only 11 when her mother unexpectedly died in her sleep after an illness. Did her mother's death take a toll on Taylor growing up? Of course, her father said. After that occurred, did uh, you see any um, changes in Taylor's uh, behavior, first of all? She was a little rambunctious. Nothing, I mean, she she played volleyball. She had a a good amount of friends she hung out with. She was a, a normal kid. Did things change at all for her? I wouldn't say too much. She got in trouble a little bit at school, but I don't know, something with a band instrument. Um, what happened with that? Oh, she just took somebody's band instrument and then returned it, but little, nothing, nothing major. In the 2000s, Taylor, her dad, and her brother moved from Evanston, Illinois, to Green Bay, Wisconsin. When she was 16, she eventually moved to Texas with her grandparents for a fresh start. She graduated from high school. She got pregnant and had a baby in 2021. Before the baby was born, she was placed in a psychiatric hospital. The child is currently being raised by Taylor's grandmother. Was she suicidal? Taylor's defense attorney asked. Probably, her dad said. Was she experiencing hallucinations? She wasn't in the right state of mind at all, he said. Was she prescribed some medications and things like that? Uh, she was at, at uh, that evening, no. But yeah, she has been on uh, some medications that she didn't, she never liked taking those pills. I mean, they kind of messed her up even worse. Did they cause her to hallucinate or cause her to have I think it all, start, it all started with a Seroquel that was taken, you know, back, you know, I don't, I don't understand too much about uh, those uh, prescription drugs, but they never agreed with her at all. He said at some point, Taylor moved back in with her dad and lived with him for a few months. Did you ever, did it ever come to a point where you didn't want her to stay there anymore because her behaviors were getting worse or her mental status was getting worse? No. I love my daughter, so I'll do whatever it takes to help her out. When she was living um, at your house, sir, on Moraine Way, was she ever experiencing or um, experiencing any hallucinations or anything like, like that? Um, uh, yeah. Can you tell me about that? Uh, just know that she wasn't in the right frame of mind. You know, you know, kind of see things. She liked to walk around, and you know, we take a walk cemetery. Just right down the street. But um, she just needed, you know, just to kind of get out and walk around and I guess 
ease her mind. Did you have concerns about her from a physical or mental standpoint? Always. Okay, always. On cross-examination, Taylor's dad said she had been doing pretty well until her husband got out of prison. Drugs played a big role in her downfall, he said. So Taylor was doing pretty well, and then she started using the drugs. Yeah. No further questions. Pretty bad drug, too. Anything uh, on that, Mr. Fralick? What was the drug? No, meth, meth, heroin, whatever else. I don't know. No, I don't know. The kid was already doing that shit before, and just a fucking loser, and he got my daughter involved in that shit. When Taylor's dad left the stand, the guards escorted him out of the courtroom and back, presumably, to his jail cell. When he walked past Taylor on his way out, he told her, I love you. I love you, she answered back. Go Bears. The prosecution challenged the defense's experts that Taylor was insane and called their own experts to the stand. They argued that Taylor wasn't mentally ill just because she was on meth or just because she did something so grotesque. And the state believes that when you hear all that evidence and consider the evidence you heard in the first phase, that you'll find the defendant has failed to meet her burden, that she should be held responsible for the conduct that she's convicted of and what she did to Shad. The state called psychologist Matthew Siepel. He had previously testified that Taylor was competent to stand trial. For his second time testifying in the courtroom, Dr. Siepel had interviewed Taylor again and reviewed her records. Doctor, when you were reviewing the records and ultimately when you had to uh, come to an opinion in this case, had you encountered uh, prior diagnoses that had been uh, assigned to Ms. Shabusiness at various points in time? Yes. Were you aware that at some point in time she had uh, received a bipolar diagnosis? Yes. And do you recall where that came from? That was during her inpatient treatment at the Nicolay Psychiatric Center in 2021. And, Doctor, what um, what did you note with respect to that particular diagnosis? Were there any concerns when you saw that? Yes, a concern I had with that diagnosis is that for one to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder, it's specifically within the diagnostic criteria for that condition that the symptoms cannot occur exclusively in the course of substance intoxication. Um, and I noted that uh, there's multiple collateral sources suggesting that she was abusing methamphetamine very extensively leading up to that treatment episode. So I was unable to really see how the treatment providers could have parsed out to what extent any psychiatric instability derived from the methamphetamine use versus an actual underlying mental illness. And did you have an opportunity to review the discharge summary from Nicolay Psychiatric? Yes. And in that discharge summary, is there a discussion of how she presented upon arrival compared to how she presented upon her release 21 days later? Yes, it was noted that there was a remarkable difference and that psychotic symptoms were evident upon admission, including hallucinations and very disorganized behavior, although those symptoms were determined to be largely resolved by the end of that treatment episode. Does that suggest anything to you with respect to the substance abuse that was indicated at the outset? And so it's, again, difficult to disentangle to what extent that improved mental status resulted from any medication she received in the facility versus her mere forced abstinence from intoxicants. 
based on your professional uh, education and experience of the types of symptoms that were noted upon arrival at uh, Nicolay Psychiatric, can those symptoms also be associated with the methamphetamine use solely? Yes. So it's possible for someone to manifest those symptoms solely based on meth use without having any underlying mental health illness. Yes. Calls for speculation. The same jury that took less than an hour to convict Taylor came back with their next verdict in the same amount of time. They didn't buy Taylor's insanity plea. On September 26, 2023, court resumed again, this time for Taylor's sentencing. She was 30 minutes late to her own court hearing. Her face was covered up except for her eyes. She wore what's known as a spit hood, so she couldn't spit or bite anyone in the courtroom. Shad's father spoke directly to her. Taylor, I just wanted to say that uh, I forgive you for what you've done to my son. And, uh, yeah, you made a bad choice, and now you have to live with it. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to miss Shad. He was, a, he was a wonderful child, too. Growing up, just mild-mannered and just happy. And, and uh, I know you made a bad choice. And, and uh, like I said, I forgive you. And He then had a request for the judge. And I'm going to ask the judge if he can, you know, if she can see the streets again sometime, you know. It, it may not be soon, but uh, I believe... I believe everybody uh, makes bad choices, and maybe not to the scale, but uh, I think there's a lot of hope for you. I think, you know, you can make use of your time and be a better person and uh, do great things, yeah, you know, so it does no good for me to hate you, you know. I know, I know you got a heart. I know you got a mind. And uh, I wish you no harm. And I, and I hope things, I hope things go well for you. Those in the courtroom clapped after he spoke. The judge asked Taylor if she had anything she wanted to say. So, Ms. Business, this is your opportunity to address me. If there's anything on your mind you'd like to say before I pass sentence. No, there isn't. Okay. He then sentenced her to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And that's all for this episode. This episode was researched and written by Gabrielle Rusin using the recorded trial footage. As always, I'd love to know what you think about this case. Do you agree that Taylor should have been held legally responsible? Or do you think she should have been found not guilty by reason of insanity? Let me know by joining the conversation on Instagram at Court Junkie, by tweeting me at Court Junkie Pod, or by emailing me at podcast at courtjunkie.com. To hear these episodes without the ads and hear additional Court Junkie bonus episodes, check out our Patreon options at courtjunkie.com slash support. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Dive into true crime on Pluto TV. Unravel the mysteries with Forensic Files and 48 Hours. Investigate crimes with Dateline 24-7 and Unsolved Mysteries. 
with thousands of free crime movies and TV shows. Pluto TV is the true home of crime. Download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming true crime on live channels and on demand. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.